Hey, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing okay? Yes? Okay, thank you. I think it was Joshua. Is that Joshua? That's my man right there. Glad to see you guys today. Glad to be here. Pretty day. It's been, uh, it's been a good morning so far. So last week we looked at the relationship between faith and work. We're walking through chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews, and we looked at the relationship between our faith and and, and the work that God wants to do in our life and the rest that comes as a result of God working in us and through us. Last week we looked at the story in Mark chapter 9 of the father that brings his son to Jesus. His son has been possessed by a demon um, since a very early age. And the disciples had tried to cast the demon out and were unable. And so this father comes to Jesus and says, if you can, please help my son. And, and Jesus says, if I can. Anything can be done for those who believe. And so the Father says, I believe, help my unbelief. And we talked about how significant it is for us as believers that we trust Jesus, that we have faith that he can do what he says he can do. Um, Our faith is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And as we choose to walk in obedience to him, that faith is challenged and our faith grows because we step out to things that we know that we are not able to do, and we trust that Jesus will, will take us the rest of the way, that he will fulfill what he said. And we talked about how that rest that we're promised is God's activity in our life. That's when we set aside our own work, when we get away from doing things for ourselves, and we trust God to handle the things that we often try to take a hold of, that we experience the rest that God's promised, because he's the one doing the work in our life. So today as we move forward, If you're reading this in your Bible, this next section may seem like it makes a jump and it's a little bit odd. But if we look at it in context of of what all is going on, we're going to see what happens. But today, um, we're going to see a second warning in the book of Hebrews. This word of warning comes on the heels of God's promise of rest and a warning against disobedience. And so we want to look at this warning this morning. But before we do that, in thinking about this passage, um, I was reminded of something that I've heard Talitha say often. I think um, Carrie actually brought this up in life group last week. But Talitha, I don't know if you know her well, you've probably heard her say this. But she will say to people at times, you are sincere, but you are wrong. <laughs> and I really love that statement because it's kind of punchy and she's a little punchy and she would appreciate me saying that about her. Um, but also because there's a lot of honest truth there. And, and if we think about it, we don't like being wrong, right? Like raise your hand if being wrong is your favorite thing ever. No one is raising their hands, just so that those in podcast land know, okay? But often, when we are wrong, we sincerely believe that we are right, correct? And unless someone piles up a lot of evidence to prove us otherwise, we will stand fast in our wrongness because we believe that we are right, correct? So last night... Uh, David and Leah had, us, had the worship team and their families over for dinner, and we played this game called Telestration. And I, I, was, I was telling somebody this morning, I was thinking about an illustration to help us kind of get prepared for the message today. And, and the Lord, as soon as I woke up, he put this, this moment that happened in the game to mind. So if you've never played that game before, here's how it works. And this is important for you to understand why, why I'm telling this story. Um, everybody gets these little boards that have pages that flip and you draw on it with a dry erase marker. And so you get a card, everybody gets a card and you flip your card over when the timer starts and you look at what you're supposed to draw and there's a word or, or a couple of words. And then your job is to draw that picture of that secret word. 
And when you're done drawing, you flip to the next page and everybody passes their books around. When the timer starts again, the person that you just handed the book to looks at the drawing and has to guess what that drawing is. And that cycle continues until your book gets all the way back around to you. And then the best part of the game is when you reveal those drawings and those guesses, okay? So last night we're playing and there was a lot of laughter going on, okay? And the end goal of this game is for the last guess to be the same as the secret word, right? That's, that's the goal, and sometimes that happens, and it's really, really neat when it does. We even had one last night where it got off track, but then because of the drawings, it got back on track, and the secret word was the same at the beginning and the end, even though the middle wasn't the same. So the first few people guessed, and they drew correctly in this particular word, but then someone looked at the drawing. I'm not going to name any names. The, the, the word was picnic, but someone looked at the drawing and thought it was oriental people eating because they were on the ground, which is valid, okay? And so then I will say this name, uh, and, and so the next person guesses, and they, they put uh, oriental dinner or something like that, and then another person drew a plate of Chinese food, and then it gets to David, and David writes down, tropical garden palette. He was thinking of palette as in like a painter's palette that had a tropical garden coming out of it. And, and, and then I get it. And that's the guess is tropical garden palette. And I know that that's not where this started, but I have to draw what it says. And, and I, I'm gonna ha I'll apologize in a minute, David. But I just want to say, when I looked at the words, I was like, that's not even a thing. That's not a thing. That's not something that exists in this world. So I drew a, drew a tropical garden palette, and Lizzie, who was sitting next to me, guessed botanical herb garden, which was a good guess. Needless to say, in the, when we did the reveal, there was a lot of laughter happening around the table. It was a lot of fun. So the party ends, and, and we needed to run to Walmart to get a few things, and, and we walk in the front door of Walmart, and this is sitting there. <laughs> a tropical garden palette. So David, I'm sorry. Apparently, with the people of Walmart, it is a thing. <laughs> it's already on its way to your house. <laughs> if you can't see it well, that is a tropical garden literally on a pallet, okay? Uh, pretty much, yeah, yeah. Here's the point. Isn't it funny how often in life we see this same scenario play out? How often do we find ourselves looking at a circumstance in our life and looking at it, we think we understand what is happening? More specifically, we think we understand what God is doing. And then we respond accordingly, believing that we are doing the right thing, which is what we all want to do. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks, that when we become believers, what we want to do is right, but we still struggle with the flesh. And so we see what we think God is doing. We respond in a way that we feel is according to what God wants us to do. And then later we find out that, that it was wrong. Have you experienced that before? I know I certainly have. Now, the drawings and the things in this game are easy to laugh, at, laugh about. But what about the things in life that are significant? What about when you're praying about something that's a major decision? And you move in the direction that you believe God's calling you to do. And then you later find out that you misunderstood God. How do we deal with that? How do we reconcile that in our life? 
Last week at the end of the message, we talked about how culture, or talked about culture and how often people tend to follow the loudest voice. And I don't know about you, but that's something that I think about regularly. When I'm making decisions, I'm asking myself, is the decision that I'm making, is it something that Will wants, or is it something that God's telling me to do, or is it something that Will wants, and also I know that the people in my circles will agree with and, and support me in. We're taught growing up that when we face decisions, we should gather as much info as needed. We weigh the pros and cons. We seek the advice of wise people. And all of that is good. But the problem with that is that often those sources can keep us caught in that culture loop. That those sources of of information that we're getting are all in that same echo chamber of what culture is talking about. And at the end of the day, the goal for the church, more specifically for us as followers of Christ is not to become more like the world, but to become more like Christ. Our goal is that every person on earth would come to know Jesus. And if, if we're surrounding all of our decision-making by the echo chamber that is culture, and we're not allowing God to have an opportunity to speak into our lives, then what we end up with is, is not a picnic, but a tropical garden palette. <laughs> and sometimes that's a problem. So, In order for us to follow Christ well, it's going to require that we learn to trust Him more than the decision-making process that's been ingrained in us. That when those decisions come, that we we can still use that decision-making process, but we let God have voice in that as well. And what we're going to find out as we go through that pattern in our lives is that God's going to begin to speak through those other channels as well. But it requires that we have faith in God that He will speak and I will say, just as a caveat, as a side note, that, that, and we've talked about this before, but I want to say it again here this morning, is that when we do miss it, that God still redeems that, that God still loves us, He's not mad at us, because our heart, our intent, was to follow Him. But we need to grow in our faith, because often what we think we see is not what we think it is. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what He's doing in our lives, and we need to continue to ask Him to do it in a way that we can understand it. Most of us have probably heard uh, the passage that we're going to read today, but when you see it in context of the rest of the passage, it brings it into a new light. In the context of encouragement, remember the the Hebrews that this letter is written to, that they're struggling. There's a piece of fuzz in my face, sorry. I couldn't couldn't not do something about it. Um, They're struggling. And so this, this section is both a warning, but it's also the solution to the problem that the author is addressing. So look with me at at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. It says, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, the first thing I want to do this morning is just share with you some observations that I see as I read this passage. The first thing is that God is active. And this same word that that was used in the creation of the cosmos um, from nothing, right? God spoke it into being. That same word is the word that's used here. Look with me at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, because I want our minds to go here when we talk about the word today, about the word being a double-edged sword. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was, God, was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through Him. 
And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now today, the title of the message is God's Word Changes Everything. And so as we talk about the Word today, I want your mind to go to the person of Jesus who was in the beginning with God and all things were created through him. And I want you to think about as we think about this passage today that the God who created everything from nothing, when he speaks into your life, his intention is the same. It is to create something that wasn't there before. The Word of God holds within, it itself, within itself the power to create change in us, just like He did at the beginning of the world. And when God speaks, it is with purpose and with intention to make us more like Himself. The second observation is that God's Word penetrates the depths of our lives. Listen, we've grown up in a church culture where it is normal and it is smiled upon to walk into church with a smile on your face and to pretend like life is okay. But God sees beyond that. He penetrates deep within us and he gets past the superficial religious activity that we dawn on thinking that that will make us appealing to him. He penetrates down in the depths of our inner lives. The things that we try to hide from the world, God sees And then he changes us from the inside out. Third observation is that we are laid bare before him. Now I want you to think about this with me for a moment. God created us to be in a relationship with him. And when he originally created Adam and Eve, there was a transparency to that relationship that we have not experienced yet. God, he created them from the dust of the earth. He created woman from Adam's rib. He knew them, but they also knew God personally. And then when sin enters the world, when it enters the equation, that transparency was destroyed and immediately Adam and Eve tried to hide who they were from God. This passage is a reminder that God sees all about us and he knows all. and We can't hide anything from him. The fourth thing is that when God speaks, we have to decide how we're going to respond to that. When the Lord speaks in our lives with the intention of creating something that wasn't there before, just like we talked about last week, when that moment happens, we have a decision to make. Am I going to trust God, just like the Israelites standing on the edge of the promised land? Am I going to, I going to trust the thing that God has said, or am I going to trust the voice of culture? God speaks into our lives in order to give us opportunities to know Him and to become like Him. He is working us towards the goal of the perfect relationship that we were created to have from the beginning. That relationship, that transparency, and that trust is what our heart longs for. That's what we desire more than anything. And then the last one is that there is immeasurable joy in experiencing God through obedience. Our testimonies are those stories of God's activity, when we experience God's rest, which we've defined as His activity, that's what we testify about. We tell people about the things that God is doing, things that that we cannot accomplish on our own, the areas of our life where we felt like we were drowning and the Lord saved us, the, the places in our life where we felt like we had it all together and then we realized we didn't and God came in, the places in our lives where we needed a blessing and the Lord came and took care of us. You know, I was thinking about this week for a long time, 
I think about my own history in church. I, I think about the times where I heard the gospel preached. And most of the times, the emphasis there was on avoiding hell. It was about giving your life to the Lord so that when you died, you didn't have to go and, and be in hell. I grew up hearing about all that I could expect to experience in hell and nothing about what it meant to live as a believer here on this earth today. I, I was thinking about um, when I was much younger, serving in another church, um, was on staff full-time, and I remember sitting in my office on a Wednesday night, miserable, preparing for a Bible study and, and asking God and asking myself, how do I teach in a way that it would encourage teenagers to come and want to be a follower of Christ when in this moment, I don't want to be a follower of Christ. Not because Christ wasn't good, but because the extension of him, the church, was miserable. And I hated it. And I didn't want to be there, but it was my job. I had, to, I had to teach, but I was having this moment of vulnerability with the Lord where I'm saying, God, I don't even want to be here. How do I convince teenagers that they'll want to be here? And the problem was with that church is that it was dead. There was no life in it. Everybody was there for themselves. And I was part of the problem. And I want to make that clear. It's not like I was the good guy and the rest of the church was the problem. I was in that church. When I read about the New Testament church and I looked at the one that God had called me to serve in, the only similarities I saw between the two was that they called themselves a church. And that was devastating for me. And I know that I'm not alone in feeling that way. I'm sure we've all been in a similar place. And I know that I wasn't alone because I'd had a lot of conversations with other people at that church and in other churches, people that, that I know today that are friends of mine now who can say the same thing, who felt the same thing. And here's, this is my educated guess. This is just Will. I think the church spent so much time focusing on hell because they had very few, if any, experiences with God. They didn't have anything else to talk about. Because when you read in Scripture the goodness of God and you've never experienced it, you can't teach about it. You can't teach about what you know. You can't share a story effectively that is not yours. And I know that that was true of me in my life. I had not experienced the goodness of God. There's a lack of stories because no one's willing to listen to God to speak and then allow God to work in their lives. Because people don't like to change. And I can understand that. When I get a, a thing in my head, my kids can testify to this, so can my, anybody that knows me well. If I get a plan in my head and then we have to deviate from that plan, it bothers me big time because I had a plan. But I got to get over that in myself, and we all do. I thank God regularly that this has not been my experience at TGP. Last night, um, David said some really nice words to the band, and, and, and I want to share this with you because it was, it was profound to me. He said he's never been in a church where people were not required to do things, and they gave so much. And that is significant. I think he said it a little differently, but that's the, that's the sentiment that he was trying to share. And I 100% agree with him. And the difference is, is that you guys are pursuing the Lord, and you're asking him, God, do I give myself in this way? Do I serve in this way? Do I love my fellow believers this way? When I started at TGP, I found a community of actual followers of Christ who were talking with God daily, 
who are asking him, God, what do you want me to do today? How do you want me to respond to the things that you're saying in your word? And then they were doing those things. And all of a sudden, the church felt real. It felt alive. I remember sitting with Kevin and Lori, and I've shared this with you before, and and talking about this must be a honeymoon period because this is so exciting. This must end at some point, but it hasn't. It's continued to go on. We're, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years down the road now. But people were responding to God the way they were supposed to. When we walk in obedience and we share the stories of the God-exclusive activity in our lives, it draws people into God. It draws us closer to God. But the church has been focused so long on trying to scare people into relationship with Him. And, and we wonder why the church is in decline. It's because people don't want to be afraid. They don't want to live in fear. They don't want to live right now for something that may or may not happen in the future because at that point, they're not really believers. And so they're trusting the word of someone else instead of it trusting what God has done. I want you to look for a moment with me at the power of testimony about God's work in someone's life. This is a story that I think we're all familiar with. It's in John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 28 through 30, but this is the story of the woman at the well. We know that story, right? Jesus and the disciples are coming into this town, and there's the, Jesus sends the disciples on in to get some food. He stops at the well, and the woman walks up, and he asks her for a drink of water. And they have this whole conversation about the sin in her life. But look at her response to that. Think about this first before we look at her response. Think about sitting down with Jesus and having him lay out all the sins that you've been committing recently and how you might feel about that. Just wherever you are, there's no judgment here. I just want you to think about that. Now listen to her response. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they left the town and made their way to him. Now I want to point out a couple of things and then we're going to read further. Jesus, who is the word, spoke into her life and created change in her. He revealed truth to her. He revealed her sin. Secondly, she didn't feel judged or ashamed, but was excited enough to run to town and tell people about it. Because God changed her. The revelation and confession of her sin brought her joy. Not shame, not condemnation, not feelings of judgment. But she realized that there was truth around her. Look at the response after that in in verse 39 through 42. It says, now the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I did. Okay, so the church, the people now believe because of what she has said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. So the Word of God created a new life in her. People saw the change and it drew them to Jesus. And because of her testimony, the whole community invited Jesus to speak into their lives. And they experienced God just like she did. They were changed just like she was and believed because of their personal experiences with the Word. When we read this passage in Hebrews, this is the kind of experience that the author is telling us is possible. Look at it with me again, verse 12 and 13. 
For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. You may read that passage and think that does not at all sound desirable. I don't want to be laid bare before the Lord. But it's good because what Jesus is doing, what he did for this Samaritan woman, is he brought her closer back to that perfect, transparent relationship that God created them to be. That's the goal. And not only do we need it, but it brings joy to us when Jesus makes us more like himself. And the only way that happens is by him revealing the sin in our lives and dealing with it and us trusting him through that process. At the beginning of this message, I told you that there was both a warning and solution. Going to the word, allowing God to speak and obeying what he says is the solution. That's what all of us need. This is what keeps us from wondering. That is what builds our faith. This is what allows us to experience God's exclusive activity in our lives. It's what gives life and vitality to the church. It's God's activity, not our activity. Not because we're really good at doing stuff. Not because we have some great programs. Not because everybody's real pretty. It's because the Lord is working in our lives and we're sharing that with other people. And that draws people to want to know God, just like it did with the Samaritan woman. And if we will daily let the Lord penetrate us, get down to the bone and marrow. And the only way that happens is by us spending purposeful time with Him. And by doing so, we're going to begin to see God's activity in our lives. And it's going to make us even more like Him. I want you to think about how amazing our church feels right now. When you go to life group, like last night, the laughter that was happening in that house was incredible. Our life group, mine, because I go to it often, I can speak to it. It feels amazing. And we're still far from being like Jesus. Think about how much better it can be when we're more like Him. And that happens by us just spending time with Him. And letting Him speak into our lives, reveal sin. And letting Him deal with it. God doesn't want us to just read Scripture to learn facts. He wants to engage our hearts and our souls that, so that He can create change in us. When we set the table for God by setting aside time to read His Word and engage in what He is saying, we are inviting Him in to change our lives. We're inviting Him to bring us closer to that perfect relationship that He created us to have. And when he does, we're not going to be able to keep from telling other people about it. They're going to be drawn to God by the stories that we're sharing. But just like the woman at the well and the community that she brought with her, if we'll do that, it won't be very long. And those people are going to invite Jesus into their own lives and let him speak that same life into them. And then they're no longer living vicariously. They're not believing vicariously through the stories that we tell, but they'll have stories of their own. Their relationship with the Lord will be more perfect than it was before. They're going to get to see the transparency of an amazing God who loves them so well. No longer will they need to believe because of what they've seen in your life, but now they believe because of what Jesus is doing in their life. God's Word changes everything. God's Word changes everything. Let's pray.
God, I'm, I'm so thankful for how personal you are for us. And that, that you desire to live inside of us and to make us more like yourself. Father, I ask that you would continue to grow us to be a church that is absolutely head over heels in love with you. And that you would put in us a desire every day to dive into your word, not just to study it, not just to, to gain information, but to know you, to let you speak into the depths of our lives, the places that we don't even want to address. Father, that you would, you would tear those places open, that you would reveal yourself in those moments of vulnerableness and that you would make a change in us to make us more like you. God, give us that desire, especially when we don't want to deal with it. Father, as we close out in worship today, God, I ask that your spirit would speak into each of us personally. God, that you would, you would divide us at bone and marrow. Father, that you would penetrate deep into our lives and show us who you are and what you intend for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.